You're listening to episode 38 of Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. I'm your host, Laura Diaz, and I recently graduated with a master's degree in climate science and solutions. Every week, Eco Chic is bringing you conversations on general climate change education and personal sustainability efforts. So things that are not necessarily common knowledge, but totally, totally should be. Just trying to make us all more responsible citizens of the planet. If you enjoy Ego Chic, please go ahead and subscribe and leave us a rating on whatever your preferred listening platform is. So whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever it might be, it really, really helps out. It lets me know what you like, what you care about. It helps our friends get to know the podcast a little bit, grow our community, and it's just super helpful. So I appreciate if you could take like five seconds, do it right here while you're listening to this, and just go ahead and leave a rating or a review. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to go ahead and say thank you to everyone who's gotten back to me about last week's question of the episode, so to say. Um, I also asked on Instagram stories. I'm really interested in planning content for 2019 when it comes to Eco Chic, dedicating a lot more time to the podcast, its success and its growth. And I think it's been such an incredible year so far. So like I said, this is episode 38, which is pretty wild to me. And I feel like I'm opening up every episode being like, oh my God, I can't believe it's episode X. But it's really exciting to just know that I'm able to do something that I love so much and that it's impactful and that people care about it. Um, So I've definitely been listening to all the suggestions. People have had such great suggestions on topics that they would like to hear. If there's anything that you're really itching to learn more about in the worlds of climate change or sustainability, I would love to hear from you either via DM or um, via email. So you can DM me on Instagram. I will always have those linked down below or just through my website, you can send me an email. But I appreciate everyone who's gotten back to me so far, and I'm really interested to make more plans. And from what I understand, it seems like people are very 50-50 on whether they would prefer more podcast episodes or video content. Um, I don't get asked about video content all the time, and I honestly don't have a lot of experience doing any sort of like video editing, so it's intimidating to me. But if that's something that you're interested in, I would love to look into the possibility of, you know, taping some interviews or whatever it might be and growing this podcast online that way too. So any feedback that you have on growing the podcast in 2019, I would really appreciate it. I want to make sure that this is still a really useful resource. It's something that you want to listen to. It's something that provides value. So anyway, yes, I want to thank everyone before I get into today's episode on what we are going to be doing moving forward. So it seems like for the most part, people are really interested in learning more about the technology behind climate change solutions and what we are doing as a globe moving forward in the tech space, what the innovations are coming up right now when it comes to climate change solutions. And I'm really interested in talking to a lot of people this year about all the new up and coming shiny things when it comes to climate change. But before we get into any of those episodes, I feel like it was really important to kind of lay the foundation, kind of set the scene for us on what is going on right now in terms of technology and what the word geoengineering means. So a few episodes ago, I spoke to author Nicole Walker. She wrote Sustainability, A Love Story, a really great book and such a fun conversation for me to have. That was episode 33 of Eco Chic, if you want to go back and give that a listen. But at the end of our conversation, Nicole actually flipped the tables and asked me if I believe that technology will save us from this impending climate crisis. 
And it was a really interesting question to have thrown at me because I think a lot about geoengineering and I think there are right now, especially in the news, a lot of kind of shiny titles of articles, of new research coming out, of things we can do to just suck all the carbon out of the atmosphere or whatever it might be. So I think that this is a really important conversation to have before we get into what is really feasible when it comes to climate change solutions. So let's start off by defining geoengineering. Geoengineering is also sometimes called just climate engineering, and it is this is taken from the Google Dictionary, the deliberate large-scale manipulation of an environmental process that affects the Earth's climate in an attempt to counteract the effects of global warming. So basically, it's just any sort of effort that's trying to stop or turn back the effects of global warming. A lot of the information educating today's episode comes from the IPCC's latest Um, assessment report, AR5. The IPCC is kind of the global authority when it comes to climate change. So it's kind of the UN when it comes to climate change. IPCC stands for Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And it is the body of scientists that comes out with a report every eight years or so, I want to say. They also come out with special reports in between. So if you remember the report that came out in October saying that we have reached a 1.5 degree Celsius threshold already when it comes to climate change, and we are much closer to the impending climate crisis than we originally believed. So that's the body of scientists that are coming out with all of this information. I'll go ahead and link the report down below if you're interested in reading it. It is kind of dense. It's about a thousand pages long. I'm not going to lie to you, but it is really, really interesting. Obviously not something you read word for word, but if you're interested in like the research behind geoengineering or any of the information we have right now, we're taking as facts when it comes to climate change. That's all put together in the IPCC's latest reports. So anyway, according to the IPCC, geoengineering can be broken into two basic approaches. So you have carbon dioxide removal and solar radiation management. So these are both just really large routes that have been receiving a lot of attention when it comes to addressing climate change. And these, you should realize, are completely different from the actions of mitigation and adaptation, which is usually how we talk about climate change solutions. So mitigation and adaptation is basically either changing the way that we live or changing the way that we respond to particular climate issues. So that's mitigation and adaptation. Geoengineering is a totally separate sector of dealing with climate change. So a lot of the time we're looking at carbon dioxide removal as techniques that are extracting greenhouse gases directly from the atmosphere and storing them into some sort of sink or other storage facility in a sense. And I'm talking about like a physical carbon sink. So a lot of the time carbon sink could just be a forest that holds a lot of carbon under the trees. But when it comes to geoengineering, we're thinking of like physical tanks where we can compress carbon dioxide into. Um, And then also just directly enhancing whatever sinks we do have available that also goes along with carbon dioxide removal techniques. Some pretty basic ideas behind carbon dioxide removal is just really big funnels that should be trapping carbon dioxide, um, letting out other chemicals to absorb some of that carbon dioxide, and then storing everything in bigger carbon sinks. All in all, like really large scale engineering efforts. And then on the other side, solar radiation management is aiming to reduce the amount of solar radiation that's actually being absorbed by the sun's surface. So this is where a lot of the more imaginative, so to speak, geoengineering techniques come in. Solar radiation management can be broken down into efforts either done atmospherically, terrestrially, so here on the ground, or in space. So a really good example of an atmospheric solution 
to solar radiation management would be like cloud brightening, quote unquote, or adding some sort of reflective particles to the lower stratosphere. I once read an article that had an infographic of literally throwing mirrors into the atmosphere and just kind of suspending them there. And that should, in theory, bounce back some of that solar radiation. A terrestrial approach might be painting white surfaces. So actually, a lot of cities have already done this. If you take um, a road or a rooftop and you paint it white, it should reflect a lot of the solar radiation and that's not being absorbed by the Earth. So that's actually a really common solar radiation management technique that's being used right now. But also when it comes to space-based, it could be, again, releasing mirrors into space, more like fantastical type approaches to dealing with sunlight that's actually hitting the Earth. So some of these ideas sound really cool and I would really love to wholeheartedly believe that we have found the solution to climate change. So let's discuss some pros and cons of geoengineering efforts. The nice thing about geoengineering is that you really don't need a whole lot of global cooperation for some of these efforts to be developed and deployed. You do need countries that are facing severe impacts to maybe push some of these projects, especially when it comes to things like solar radiation management, where we're shooting things into the atmosphere or into space. Um, but a lot of the benefits of similar projects should, in theory, like based on the research, outweigh the adverse side effects. So costs long term should be low if you're thinking about the costs that we are avoiding by mitigating, quote unquote, climate problems. However, most of these geoengineering principles either presented in the IPCC or maybe you're reading about them in, you know, like a USA Today or something like that. These haven't been tested. Everything is very research based. Every geoengineering principle, for the most part, is theoretical. So we don't actually know what the side effects of most of these projects, if not all of these projects, would be. So there could definitely be some sort of severe adverse side effects and costs for actors that are more severely impacted by climate change. So we're thinking of like small island nations um, or there might be a particular project when it comes to geoengineering that might secure climate benefits for one part of the world, but then also create damages to another part of the world. So we don't necessarily know that geoengineering is going to benefit the globe as a whole. It's also really important to note that things like solar radiation management techniques might not be effective for mitigating other climate impacts. So one example that the IPCC gives in their AR5 is that just solar radiation management reflecting some of that sunlight off of Earth does not impact the acidification of oceans because they're still going to be absorbing excess CO2. So we still have a problem of ocean acidification just because solar radiation is not being absorbed at the same rate. If you see what I'm saying, we're just kind of avoiding one problem, but another problem is going to persist. So by the same token, there is not like reduced concentrations of atmospheric greenhouse gases. And another really, really important takeaway when it comes to geoengineering is that as soon as you stop any of these management techniques when it comes to climate change, as soon as you stop shooting mirrors into space or adding lead particulates onto the surface of the ocean to increase that reflectivity, all of the immediate impacts of climate change will come back. So if you're continuing business as usual, putting up a geoengineering project is actually just kind of like masking the effects until you stop. And then honestly, like things are just going to get really, really bad really, really quickly. Geoengineering projects need to be maintained indefinitely in order for the benefits of these projects to actually long term impact the globe and help us solve, quote unquote, our climate crisis. So the question of the hour, will technology save us from our impending climate crisis? Personally, I got to tell you, I do not think that geoengineering is our answer. 
But I think it's really, really great to have these cool, shiny projects of geoengineering out into the world because it gets people interested in developing new technologies and it gets people interested in learning more about climate change solutions. If things are flashy, people are going to want to know more about them. People are going to invest in them. And so I think that geoengineering has a place, but it's not necessarily in solving our climate problem. The most powerful technology in my eyes, I love to preach this. I think efficiency is the most powerful tool when it comes to climate change solutions. So what do I mean when I say efficiency as a technology? I think that we should work on making better, longer lasting batteries for storing energy from solar panels. I think that we should work towards purifying and improving recycling efforts for chemicals like HFCs and CFCs, which are the chemicals associated with old refrigerators. They're actually the most harmful chemicals when it comes to absorbing greenhouse gases at all on the planet, and we don't have a proper way to recycle them yet. So efficiency is probably our best bet right now to hitting our basic long-term and short-term goals when it comes to climate change. And again, this is not to say that all the research going into geoengineering is for nothing. I think it's really, really important in getting people involved and invested in climate change solutions, but I think the majority of change will come from just improving our mitigation and adaptation efforts. I hope you enjoyed that quick little episode on geoengineering and technology as a means to solve climate change. Before we close off the episode, I'd like to end every episode of EcoChic answering a question that I've gotten either via DMs or via Instagram or in real life or whatever it might be. And today's question comes from my friend Jessica, and she was basically just asking for easy vegan meal prep ideas that she wants to try veganuary. I believe that's how we're going to pronounce it, but it's basically going vegan for the whole month of January, which is kind of intimidating, but also really exciting. So if you're doing that, please let me know because I'm trying it. And I think that the issue with vegan meals, for some reason, people are very intimidated by either meal prep or the idea of combining different things to reach their protein and other micronutrient goals for the particular day. But veganism does not have to be any more intimidating than making any other kind of diet. So something that I like to do really basic that I like to share all the time on Instagram stories is actually just making a total meal in my rice cooker. My rice cooker came with a little steamer plate and that steamer plate is such a powerful kitchen tool. Like not to be dramatic, but it's really changed the way that I meal prep and just even bring food to class or bring food to work or whatever it might be. That steamer plate is so efficient in making really passive meals. So basically I just fill the bottom of my rice cooker as I normally would probably with brown rice and then I like to season it. So I'll do like curry powder or um, turmeric or something, whatever I'm feeling that day. I like to add in beans to the bottom. So most of the time I do garbanzo beans, which I cook in my crock pot ahead of time but I like to throw in some beans in there. So you already have your protein mixed in and then you just throw the steamer plate on top. And while that rice is cooking, steam a whole bunch of vegetables. So whatever you have on hand, if it's carrots, if it's broccoli, make sure you're getting as many colors in there as you can. That's a really easy way to make sure that you're getting as many varied nutrients as you can. But the steamer plate is a game changer. And then another really easy tip for vegan meal prep is kind of just thinking about things that you already enjoy in your diet and how you can replace them either with different colored vegetables or um, looking at vegetables that are a little meatier, quote unquote. So I really like mushrooms or cauliflower for things like that. If I'm making some sort of stir fry, I like having something that's like a little chewier in a sense and mushrooms are really good for that. Um, Cauliflower can be a replacement for literally everything. A really easy one is like the buffalo chicken wing wannabe cauliflowers, that's a really good recipe. And I can 
perhaps suggest some vegan Instagrams down below in the show notes because I follow a lot of vegans on Instagram and I think it's a really fun way to get um, inspiration. But otherwise, I don't think there's anything to be intimidated by when it comes to vegan meal prep. Just think of any other meal that you could potentially meal prep and then how you can replace the more animal product components of that with a vegetable substitute of similar texture. I think texture is really important when it comes to a really satisfying vegan meal. And then also just making sure that you're getting as many colors in there as possible. So I know that's not like a nutritionist term, get, as all, get all your colors in, but the more colors you have in a plate, the more micronutrients you will have available to you. So I hope that is helpful in your first attempts at vegan meals. I would love to like learn how Veganuary is going for everybody, whether you're trying out veganism for your health or for your environmental footprint or whatever it might be, animal rights perhaps. I think that those are all really interesting reasons to try it out. And remember that you don't have to go vegan all the way. Like you don't have to change your life overnight. You could definitely start with just one day, start with one meal, just see how it feels for you and then slowly start adding it. And it becomes a lot more natural than you think after X amount of meals. It's just kind of like a natural progression of what your body enjoys and changing your taste buds a little bit and making sure that you're also just listening to your body and doing what works for you because you don't want to like throw off your whole vegan diet by one day you like really want a hamburger and then you're just like okay like forget it like i'm just never gonna try veganism again it's like let yourself live your life and then just try one meal meatless um dairy free is a really easy way to start off too if you're like looking for little baby steps to move towards but all in all i hope you have a really good veganuary and i hope that i can continue talking to you guys about things like a plant-based diet That is it for this episode of Eco Chic. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating, a review, wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. And I hope to hear from you soon. Have a good day.